Thank you so much, Kevin, for being here today on the Wave Capital's guest speaker series on relationship building in a team environment. Uh, you're my 16th guest on the podcast. How are you today? And welcome to the show. Yeah, sweet 16 it is, my brother. Great to be with you, having worked with you at uh, the Wired World Leader. It's, it's always great to see how well my friends do, whether they stay in sports or stay in Connecticut or go to other parts of the country. You're rocking and rolling, man. My, uh, really my pleasure to be with you. So glad to be with you today. Thanks so much. And when you think of relationship building, Kevin, how would you define relationship building? What does it mean to you? For me, relationship building is two things, really. Number one, it's consistency of message. Meaning, if I'm going to build a relationship with you, I want to make sure that I'm really clear about my intentions. Sometimes in relationship building, people either buckshot it, they're always looking for something, or they tend to be too meek about what they can extract uh, from a relationship. And by the way, sometimes relationships are transactional and sometimes they can be transformational. And so I say the number one goal for me is message consistency. I want to make sure that people know I'm available. I want to make sure that they know I'm sincere and I want to make sure that they know that I'm clear about either my intentions for something to help them or if I can get some help doing something. Uh, the second, uh, at least for me anyway, and again, uh, people have a million answers. These are just my two. The second most important thing for relationship building for me is making sure that I always look more broadly than I might otherwise. And what I mean by that is often in relationships, we're usually managing up, as you've heard the, the expression, you're talking to a boss, you're talking to someone who can help choreograph your career or choreograph something that you're trying to accomplish. Uh, I try to maintain relationships with people who frankly can't necessarily offer me anything concrete today but because I've nurtured and watered that relationship, who knows what it might grow into in the future. Often I'll run into a person that I worked with years ago and they may have zoomed right past me on the corporate ladder. And because I stayed in contact and because I was always fair with them, it tends to pay dividends for me in my career. And sometimes even personally, maybe nothing and I don't need anything, but the fact that I have a friendship or a relationship that I've built and nurtured, sometimes that can be really helpful. And when you started your career, you know, in local news and you even worked at NBC News, ESPN, obviously, before joining Fox, what was it about your journey that you started to understand truly about relationship building? Was there a mentor? Was there, you know, a certain instance along the way that you felt that, hey, that really meant a lot to me and that really had an impact on my life? Yeah, there are a number of people individually that really, I think, sort of put their, their stamp on my career. You know, I started out in Colorado Springs in my career, and Lee Williams took a shot. And then I worked in Denver. John Betancourt gave me a break. And then Bud Montoya gave me a break. And Dave Lugy and Patty, these are just names in my career. And then it became more like my agent's at that point sort of started to help me. You know, Sharon Chang with IMG got me an opportunity at ESPN. Al Jaffe said, hey, listen, I think you can do this. John Walsh, another big name at ESPN who was super impactful in my career. Then at NBC, it was Tim Russert, the great Tim Russert. I was uh, not sure where I was gonna land at the network. And he was like, I want you to come to Washington. I think you can do this. And coming from the sports world, he said, I think there's some parallels. You probably recall, he was such a huge fan of uh, the Buffalo Bills. and." 
Buffalo sports. And so that was huge in my career. And since then, it's been something similar. You know, even Roger Ailes, uh, when I came back to Fox, Roger said to me, I'm not interested in where you've been. I'm interested in, are you tough enough to handle your journey forward? And so in terms of building relationships with these individuals, powerful people, all of them, I've always tried to be tough, fair, honest, but most of all, I try to be humble because I think often people in power do want to help. Sometimes people feel like, oh, I can't reach out to that person. She's too busy. Not so. You know, I could reach out to Suzanne Scott right now and say, hey, I'm troubled by something. And you know what? I'll get an email back. And it's not because I'm a White House correspondent. It's because more often than not, in my experience, powerful people really do want to help. So that's one uh, technique I've learned over my career is not to not be afraid to ask. But I think the other thing that I've learned, Garrett, is making sure that you understand that a lot of the people that help you along the way, again, they're, they're maybe uh, off the beaten path, uh, maybe not even in your silo. You know, there was a guy, Dave uh, Blanco, who used to help me out when I was early in my career. And there were people like Dennis Dolan um, and uh, just different individuals who were willing to take a chance and help me out for no other reason than the fact that they like me as an individual. Uh, when, you, when you think about where you are today and how you started, are there yeah. certain instances, I'll use the word instances again, where you felt, wow, I never knew I was gonna be here, or I never knew I was gonna meet this person, or I never knew I was gonna cover this assignment, have you been pleasantly surprised along the way or did you have somewhat of a vision of, hey, I'm gonna spend time here, but I'm always gonna be looking for the next challenge or the next relationship to build me to where I am today? Um, you probably don't know this about me. We haven't had a chance to chat about this. Uh, maybe we will sometime over a beer, um, but I went to 12 schools before I graduated high school, 12. We moved around an awful lot growing up. Uh, and so I'm tend, I tend to be a nester. I don't like change and upheaval and moving back and forth, which of course is completely incongruent with a, a career in television news. You have to move up often. That said, um, I am surprised that I am where I am because left to my own devices, I would never have left, you know, probably Denver. Uh, I like to tell my friends, <laughs> I basically left over $5,000. I, I was up for a raise and I was looking for like five grand and my news director wouldn't give it to me. And so I went off to ESPN, which of course changed the trajectory of my career. But my point is, I don't like the idea of sort of looking at the horizon as often as some people do. I tend to like to stay focused on where I am today. Um, I'm very happy here. I love my job now. And I would never left ESPN. Uh, same thing. I was looking for more opportunity within the company and just couldn't shake the tree in the right way to get, you know, Norby or, or somebody else to give me the shot I was looking for. And so uh, I guess to answer your question, am I surprised? Yeah, I'm surprised every day because I, I tend to fall up, I guess, in, in some ways, but a lot of it is hard work and I get that. But I, I think I would say that um, unlike some, we're looking to leverage relationships to get that next mountain or get that next horizon. Uh, I'm just not that guy. I'm, I'm generally pretty content where I am. And, you know, when you talk about your time at ESPN, whether or not, and you just mentioned it, that you didn't find the right next opportunity there, which fast forward, now you're at 
you're at Fox. What was the challenge, if any, from going to covering sports to covering news? Or did you feel that that was somewhat of a natural progression at the time? Great question. Uh, for me, there were, I'm trying to think who the producer was. It may have been Jeff Ross, uh, a terrific guy, real hockey guy, uh, a Canadian. And he once saw me, it was summer, and one of my uh, games on my sheet of games to follow was like summer baseball. It was the Blue Jays against the Royals, mid-season summer baseball. And rather than have that game on my primary monitor, I had CNN up and I was watching whatever the big news of the day was. And Rossi said to me, he said, you're more interested in that than you are in the games that you're supposed to be watching right now. Now, granted, it's not football. I'm a football guy. It wasn't playoff basketball. Who can't get psyched about that? I get it. It was midseason baseball. But his point was well taken because I had a genuine interest in news. And frankly, I think most sports guys that I know, uh, read, we used to say, Sports guys don't just read the sports pages. They read the whole newspaper because that's what you do. You read it all to get to the sports page. A lot of news people used to just read the news. That's it. They didn't want to read lifestyle. They didn't want to read sports. My point for the story is I always felt like news was natural as an interest of mine. And so when I, when I talked to John Walsh at ESPN and told him I wanted to take a bit of a sabbatical and do sort of a hybrid work uh, school uh, a couple of years up at Harvard, he's, he encouraged me because he came from uh, the magazine world and he came from really heavy duty writing. And I always considered myself a person who liked to write and liked news. And so making the transition uh, was not hard for me personally. In fact, I mentioned this, uh, it wasn't just Tim Russert who encouraged me to come to NBC. Uh, Andrea Mitchell and uh, Tom Costello uh, and, and even people. Carl Quintanilla, these are people yeah, great folks. You know, Tom uh, Costello and Carl Quintanilla both went to the University of Colorado Boulder, as did I. And Andrew Mitchell and I met at a forum event at the Kennedy School once. And, and individually, over conversations, they all said, you should do this. You should pursue this. And I think, ultimately, Tim felt the same way. And uh, the rest is uh, history, for what it's worth. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I remember because I was a NBC News desk assistant at the NBC News Bureau in Washington, and that was before I was a ESPN studio production assistant to have worked at the same companies. I mean, I was technically an NBC Universal employee, but at the NBC News Bureau, but, you know, some of the people I still keep in touch with today, uh, you know, worked and, you know, still work at those organizations, and they were great organizations to work for, as well as I know quality people like yourself you know, elite journalist, you know, at, at Fox and, and other places. Um, who do you still keep in touch with uh, at places you previously were at? Do you ever ask them about advice? Do you ever, you know, ask them for anything that you think would help you currently in what you are doing now as a correspondent for Fox? And also you mentioned Harvard. Would love to hear more about some of the relationships that you made in academia at the Ivy League level. Yeah, um, as far as reaching back to past colleagues, I'm in contact with so many. It's actually funny because um, I think you appreciate uh, the battle once you're out of it. You know, I think I appreciate my time at NBC more now that I'm at Fox because I remember uh, it's always a battle for resources and it's always a battle to get on the air and it's always a fight to be heard and to be seen when you're part of this sort of Borg-like collective. 
Uh, and so when I reach out to my friends, I, we sort of share in frustration, but we also share in the joy that we're all still in the game. We're all still doing it. I, I kid one of them. I say, you know, I'm going to reach out to Keith Morrison one day or maybe uh, David Corvo and say, hire me on Dateline. You know, that's like one of my little uh, personal dreams. But I do talk to the guys. I miss them. They miss me and they make fun of me, which is always great. Same thing with ESPN buddies. You know, I, I reach out uh, to, to them quite often, you know, whether it's a producer like a Mike Colangelo or or just uh, people behind the scenes, you know, the Dean of Bailey's and, and the Jay Harris's people on the air, Stan Barrett, et cetera. So it's great fun. I love being in contact because we all share uh, this history and the shared history really is the glue that sometimes cements the uh, relationships. Uh, my time at ESPN was great because in addition to doing SportsCenter and uh, ESPN News and doing ESPN Classic and doing games and in games and live broadcasts and play by play, I did take a couple of years to go up to Harvard to get a second master's degree. And, and the reason that was so important for me is I wanted to expand my knowledge base, first of all, but I also wanted to take some of the lessons from some of the smartest people that I could find and try to bring them back uh, into the corporate environment. And it really was fun. I mean, I, I learned so much and the relationships I built there invaluable to this day i'm on the i'm on the board of the harvard club of washington dc and i can honestly say uh there's been no better use of my time my energy and my own personal and professional development than to take that opportunity do you ever see yourself as an adjunct professor one day or full-time professor i mean maybe not now but do you feel like you have that uh part of that teaching within you because you like to instruct and you like to mentor? 100%. I, I've always wanted to do it. Uh, my mother, uh, God rest her soul, used to always say to me, you have a teacher's spirit, which is why we're in TV anyway, right? And part of TV is, is teaching. What happened? Who are the players involved? Tell me why I should care and what happens next. So we're really basically teachers each and every day. So uh, to answer your question, no question, I definitely want to do this in some way at some point. In fact, I had a conversation with a dear friend uh, from the University of Colorado, and we sort of thought about ways that we could use a really specific type of journalism to grow maybe a program. Um, and while again, that may be years down the road, or maybe I help to fund it in the meantime, and maybe just sort of pick and choose my spots. I promise you I'll do it because I really believe that giving back is, is so important. You know, it's easy to be successful and forget uh, how you got there. You know, I'm the first person in my family to graduate from college. Um, so for me, the idea of making sure I not only help grow the next generation and the next and the next, um, that, that is right at my core and will always be. And what do you think drew you, like growing up, what drew you to journalism? I know that you've mentioned your mom saying that you have a teacher's spirit. You know, talk to me about some of your family members, you know, what they meant to you, and the fond memories you have, and how much did they play a part into you figuring out you wanted to be a professional journalist? You know, it's funny. My brother, Michael, who's also passed away, who was my best friend, uh, so sorry was a comms yeah no thank you i appreciate it lovely guy uh he was a comms major in undergrad and i was going to major i thought in engineering 
architectural engineering. I was pretty good at drawing. I liked drafting classes in high school. I've always been fairly strong in math. And in my last, my last year, first semester, uh, my high school AP English teacher, a woman by the name of Carolyn Plummer, uh, I'd written an essay. And she said, that was the finest essay I've read and I've been teaching for 30 years. If you don't major in English or in journalism, uh, it's a devastating waste of talent. And she was not a woman who was effusive in her praise. She was sort of a hardcore, tough, tough love kind of mom of a teacher. And I took that very seriously. When she said that, I thought, okay, I'll take a class. And I took one class, funny, uh, you know, you're taking your prereqs in your first year, and I've had all these great classes that I think are gonna direct me to becoming, you know, the next great architect. And uh, I suggested I should, and uh, changed my life. After that, I was like, I got the bug. And funny story, very quickly, my first uh, year in TV news was an election year. And as you well know, yeah, as you well know, there's nothing like election night. If, if you, it's like in sports, if your first big assignment in sports is a Super Bowl, you're hooked, or an NCAA championship. That's how it feels. That's, uh, that's have, the level of intensity, and, and uh, it's pretty amazing environment. Absolutely. And so my first big assignment was an election. After that, I knew I, I uh, yeah, I was in the right field. I'd made the right choice. It's kind of fun thinking back now, because sometimes you'll ask yourself, hey, if you could go back and be 18 or 22, would you do it all differently? Almost everybody says, yeah, I would. I would make this choice, that choice. And I probably would too, but there's a lot that I've been able to do in this field that I really enjoy. What do you remember from that first election night, that first year in news and maybe some of the other breaking news that you've had to cover, are there certain examples that come to mind where you really felt like at the end of the day, wow, you know, I, I really was tested. I was able to implement my skills. I was able to apply my knowledge. I really felt that I put in a hard, good day's work. Yeah, it's funny. That first night, I was so relatively new. I'd only been in the business for a few months, several months. And um, I just remember we worked all night. We literally worked until two in the morning, three in the morning. And I came back the next day, I think, and my news director's office was empty. <laughs> they let him go, which means apparently they didn't care for the coverage. It, it just proved to me that the business can be volatile. It can be emotional. It can change on a dime. But it was such a fantastic night in our coverage. I'll never forget it. And, it, and I was hooked. Um, I also covered so many other major events in my career. Um, more, most recently, for example, the big riots of uh, the summer of 2020, uh, just being out there and being hit with a rubber bullet and, mm -hmm. and gassed and, and being there as uh, St. John's uh, Church was being set ablaze and watching people destroy uh, our country, our history, our culture. Uh, for no reason. It, it was really, really, it was an awful thing to experience. And at the same time, I felt privileged to be able to, again, walk people through this snapshot in time. And I'm always one to say, I may not get it right. It's the first draft of history. Um, but at least I was there. And I made what I thought was a small contribution in our coverage. And you know, history will tell us if uh, we covered it in the right way and how impactful what happened 
uh, will be to the long-term uh, prospect for our country. You know, when you talk about our country and, you know, these are very unprecedented times with the coronavirus pandemic yeah. and, you know, we're in a very polarized uh, country, you know, across the political spectrum, you know, relationship mm -hmm. building, it's simple when you think about it, but very profound. It has to be implemented the right way amongst your, your colleagues. It has to be really a nurturing type of experience that just doesn't happen overnight. I mean, it's a very personal experience too, when you have a, you know, a relationship with a family member or, you know, your best friend mm. or someone you work with. I mean, relationship building comes in all different facets. Like what could the country do from a journalistic, you know, point of view? From, from, from a journalist perspective, what can our country do better as a whole from a relationship building perspective to get back on track? If you could think of a few words or examples. Well, it's a, it's a great question and would probably take a bit of thought to really give you something sure. beyond the surface. But I would say this, um, for me, it's basically five words. Can I, on my family, I need to to know, can I count on you? Whether it's my brother Michael, uh, whether it's a parent, uh, it's that way with my best friends, um, and it's that way in the workplace too. You know, I have relationships with my boss and the people who are in the level and probably in the pipeline to become my boss. Uh, I need to know I can count on them for candor. I can count on them for consistency. I can count on them for clarity. Um, and can I count on them for compassion? And I think what our country needs from its government, broadly, the American people, we need to know, can we count on you? Whether it's the leader, you know, the president, the vice president, um, the Congress, the Pentagon, the State Department, the Supreme Court, can we count on our institutions to be consistent? Can we count on our institutions to be compassionate? Can we count on our institutions to be clear, uh, if we can't, the country will fall. And I'm not trying to make a broad prediction, but I think that's been one of the problems of late inconsistency in our institutions and people need to know uh, that justice will be meted out fairly and that, uh, that we will do the best we can for every American, not specific groups because of who they love or because of the amount of melanin they have in their skin. Um, when that happens, I think, the country gets stronger and we can sort of move forward together. So I'm really hopeful. I'm, I'm positive all the time that uh, the great news about this country, if I might say, is we tend to go through storms, but we always come through it. You know, if I told you back in 1955 and 60 and they were uh, 67 and 68 and they were, were losing presidents and senators to gun violence and People are being attacked by dogs and water hoses and in the 70s and war and, and people really felt like our country was sort of spinning out of control. The truth is we go through these periods in my opinion and the best way to come out of them and we always have thankfully is to reestablish the relationship that our institutions have with the people. And in light of everything you said, you know, I'm totally in agreement we've gone through our challenges and a lot of consternation, frustration, and anxiety, if you will. I mean, you know, just seeing, you know, you 
talk about the 60s and you know the importance of the civil rights movement and the desegregation of schools and then you had vietnam and then there were assassinations of president kennedy and bobby kennedy uh, malcolm x martin luther king dr martin luther king you know and then really the 70s 80s 90s 2000s and now you know in the last couple decades we're now in another new decade i mean we've had our fair share of challenges and we're going through this unbelievable pandemic do you feel that and we're trained journalists you and i but the average uh everyday hardworking american and when i say average i don't mean from an intellectual standpoint because our country are fairly intelligent people educated and you know informed uh for the majority that is and but for the people who didn't have the same opportunities from an educational standpoint or they don't have the resources they have lack lack of access to the media or the internet do you feel that they are at a disadvantage because they don't know at times where to turn to maybe the right news channel or maybe following one or two journalists that they feel comfortable with you know you know getting reports from do you think that in our industry with social media too everything is 24 7 a lot of stimuli a lot of news that it's hard for everyday americans each day to just fact check uh, you know what can maybe our industry do better to just at least project you know obviously the job is you know uh, fairness honesty accuracy upholding the highest of you know ethics and morals and values when when you're reporting but what can maybe our industry do better to accommodate the mass amount of people who might not have the same type of resources? Yeah, access is everything. But you know, as uh, I had a, a news director say many years ago, America's always had Archie Bunker. America always will have Archie Bunker, the character played in uh, All in the Family by Carol O'Connor. And the idea being people will silo and they always have siloed for information from sources that they trust. It goes back to that relationship that you and I were talking about. Uh, in order to establish a relationship with listeners, with viewers, with readers, with consumers, with those who take in information, whether it be online and social media or through the broadcast or streaming services, the key is how do we build relationship? And the number one thing we can all do better, especially in journalism, is to provide people with context. I think it's really easy to sort of blast you with facts. You know, here's another factoid. Here's a top 10, click here, weigh in on this survey. But I really think the way you really establish trust, especially when it hits the fan, and sometimes it hits the fan and people need to know where to go to get good information. The number one way, in my opinion, to do that is to give them context all the time. Person A says this, person B says this. This is what we've discovered along the way. And from that, people say, okay, I may not agree with everything I just heard, but I respect that you share both sides. And if we do a better job of that, um, I think that'll help, help the country, help our industry. Um, I, look, I get it. Uh, people wanna make a buck and I'm a shareholder like everybody else. And so I understand um, people will sell what they think they can sell. But I think we also have a responsibility to our country to do, do right by them. And hopefully more people like yourself who do podcasts uh, will get good information out there and talk to thought leaders 
And that can help to shape the way we communicate our ideas and hopefully we hear them too. If I can just add that very quickly, uh, often we talk to people in a way that's, I think, uh, disrespectful in the media. We're sort of talking down to them as if we have all the, rather than saying, in your perspective, you may know I hear you. I'll go meet you where you are. I'll come to features about where you live and the things that are important to you. If I can add this too, very quickly. I went to a rural Ohio. Now, I've, been all of, I've been all 50 states, as you know. I went once to rural Ohio to do some event. Uh, Trump was, uh, President Trump was doing some event. Hey, we're gonna build, you know, levees or whatever. Uh, after the event, we got in our car, uh, my photographer and I, and just drove. Just wanted to drive for an hour just to see. And you'd be surprised how often people feel like they're just not heard. And this goes back to that relationship. How do you make sure that people feel like they're being heard? Uh, go to where they are, ask them questions, do stories that are relevant beyond the Acela Corridor, the, the Boston to Washington stuff that we tend to do mostly. So hopefully we all get better at that and I hope to be a part of that. Absolutely, and, and you coming from local news journalism and now being at the network mm -hmm. or a couple networks, you see the differentiation of maybe how stories are covered. Obviously the network has to cover really a national angle of many stories that are happening across the country and you know local you know cities and they're going to cover some national news but they have to still make it germane and relevant to those areas do you feel that media would be best served if there is a hybrid of both whether it's local news and network that somehow networks kind of you know maybe provide more of what's going on at the local news level or do you feel like they do enough of that uh, I want to say we do a better job of it, at least I feel like our network does, and I think the ratings bear that out, but I think the way I would do it is I would do something, my hero in the business growing up was Peter Jennings. Uh, he anchored World News Tonight for many, many years, and I, and I love Peter because I always felt like, other than giving you sort of the Joe Friday, just the facts, ma'am, to uh, quote the old Dragnet star, uh, Jack Webb, I liked Peter because Peter always had a segment in World News back then uh, where he would do something on the domestic front. And Tom Brokaw actually would do that later for Nightly as well. I'm less familiar with what Dan did over at CBS and Scott, but my point for the story is if you make sure that each and every night you're sending your correspondence uh, out there to do stories that are relevant and not just hey here's a local fire in Denver let's get a crew over there so we can tell that story but rather the economic stories the healthcare stories the job stories um, the immigration stories get out there get out of the Washington because look we got the five big beats in DC you know we got White House Capitol Hill Supreme Court State Department right I mean we've got all those in the Pentagon so it's easy in the national news perspective to sort of focus on the big five beats. But I think what makes you better, and Brett uh, Baer, uh, one of my great friends, has this thing called Outside the Beltway. Uh, and I love that because I want us to get out there and do stories. Whether I take you to Pampa, Texas, where the old mill closed down, what's happening to Pampa now? You know, that kind of thing. And that's just an example. Or I take you to Des Moines, Iowa, uh, maybe not even Des Moines. I take you to Ames. And I say, 
outside of the university community, what else is happening for job search? So this is the kind of thing I think that will help us all. Hopefully, <laughs> we'll do more of it as we get into the streaming services because, hey, brother, we need content. We got to fill that time. Exactly. And especially when you think about what we've been experiencing today, and you and I have talked about it offline. I mean, in, inflation is affecting everybody from all walks of life. And, you know, with everything with labor shortages or supply chain disruption, and, you know, in the news recently mm -hmm. about the Federal Reserve looking to raise rates, and that looks to have an impact on the economy one way or the other you know, later this year uh, before the midterm elections. I think my last question to you is before we depart from the interview is that, and maybe you've already answered this already, but what can people at home, the viewership at home, what should they look for in stories? What should they learn from stories so they could be more, I guess, focused on how could they help their own families and their own communities, you know, really mm -hmm. galvanize and really, you know, feel that, hey, everything's going to be okay. We just got to figure out ways to beat inflation, or we have to figure out ways to save, or we got to figure out, you know, you know, ways to get through each day, you know, take it one day at a time. Yeah. But sometimes like when you watch the news, probably from their perspective and even from our perspectives, you feel like you're always wanting more. Like the news story only is covered maybe three to five minutes as a news package or, you know, you're a correspondent and you're, you know, just covering what happened, let's say that day of a particular topic. But if the person at home wants to know a little bit more and they feel like they just need that extra information to make certain decisions at home, that really will impact their family. What what can they do? What can they do differently? How do they dig deeper if that's possible? No, it's a wonderful question. But I think what I would say, two things I would say. Number one, to help our country, I think we have to be more skeptical. I think we have to teach our countrymen to be skeptical. Uh, yes, to consume because news is everywhere. But take everything with a grain of salt. My mother used to say, I don't believe everything I see, and I don't believe everything I hear. And she's right. And so I would say, first of all, we should remind everybody that while you're inundated with information, be careful and be skeptical and scrutinize what you see. But I would always add this too, and I know this is something that is near and dear to your heart. Listen to podcasts. And I say that sincerely because I have learned so much in long form, uh, whether it's during a commute. Now, I live in the city. My commute's relatively short. But as I prepare for work, I'm listening to a podcast every single day. And it's not just entertainment, which might be like Dateline or something like that. Um, I'm listening to crypto podcasts. I'm listening to murder mysteries. I'm listening to economic podcasts. I'm listening to news podcasts, like The Daily, for example, is one of my favorites. And my point for saying that is, I want to encourage everybody, broaden your horizons, be willing to listen to people with whom you disagree, and be okay with that. Be skeptical of what you do here. And most of all, you're the final judge. No one can tell you what to believe. No one. So if they tell you, you're wrong if you believe this, 
Tell them to pound sand. You're entitled. You have the right to believe what you will. But if you want to be smarter, if you want the country to be better, listen to as much as you can, absorb what you can, be willing to broaden out a little bit, be skeptical, and be fair. Well, all great advice and a great perspective on how to consume media, how to interpret it, and really make the best decisions for you and your family and really be open-minded to hearing other people's perspectives and listening to their opinions because that's Absolutely. really what we've been trained as journalists to do. Yes, you have to be informative and yes, you have to be objective. And then there is always a time and place to be subjective and really also the American people understanding the forms for both, you know, when to be objective and when if somebody asks you a question or when you're wanting to offer an opinion that they understand that's your subjectivity coming through. But knowing the difference, that would always be something that I always like to look out for. Educating people on what's the difference between objective and subjective news so then they can understand, okay, I'm getting this information in, I'm interpreting it, but this is what I believe, or this is what I think, and then making an informed decision from there. So I, I think very sound advice, Kevin. Exactly. You nailed it. And whether it's a guy like you or me, I mean, I'm looking on 25 websites before I go into the office. You know, I'm reading Reuters, I'm reading the Times and the Post and the, the news and all these different things, but you're exactly right. Be willing to take it in, be subjective, be skeptical, scrutinize what you can, and then you make the call. You at home, you have the right and the respect to make the call that you see fit for you and your family. My friend, this has been so fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Kevin. I really appreciate you being here on the Wave Capital's guest speaker series on relationship building in a team environment. You've been a great guest, and I look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks so much. Take care, my friend. Good to see you. Yes, I enjoyed it. Take care. Talk to you soon.